Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We began this series a few weeks ago, and we were taking a look the last two weeks about our spiritual hunger. First of all, being hungry for God and having a hunger for His Word. And hunger, just in general, comes from a lack I need food, I need more food, I need more water, and that drives us in our hunger. And it is the needs in our lives that drive us towards the Lord. Our need as sinners, our need as human beings in the flesh, our need for holiness, our need to grow as a soul winner, our need for personal growth, all of these things should drive us towards the Lord. So that's the goal. Now, as we're considering this analogy of health check and maybe thinking about going to the doctors, uh, when you go to see the doctor, you know, they pretty much always do the same thing, right? They, they weigh you, they check your blood pressure, they do these different things. Uh, there's lots of other tests that they might do. They could, you know, get a, a, get a sample of your blood, uh, do some blood work and do some tests on that, checking, you know, sugar levels or different levels of different things in your blood. And there's all sorts of things that they might check. Let me ask you this question. If you go to the doctors, what is the most important check? All right. If you could only check one thing, what would you check? All right. Would it be your weight? Would it be your blood pressure? Would it be your body fat percentage? I don't know if there is one. Maybe if there's a doctor here, maybe the doctor could tell me. Uh, we don't know, okay? I don't know at least. When it comes to spiritual health checks, I don't know if there is one that would be the most important health check, but certainly this one has to be right up there at the very top. And it would have to be at the very top because when somebody asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment in all of Scripture? He's looking at the Old Testament and says, out of all of these hundreds of laws, what is the great commandment of the law? Matthew chapter 22 records that. It says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law. Jesus said unto him very clearly, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, these are obviously, as Jesus gives them, references to Old Testament verses. In Deuteronomy, the book of Leviticus, you see the words, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we're going to have a spiritual health check, we cannot go very far without checking our love. Because love is the badge of healthy Christianity. Of course, our example is Christ, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. First John chapter 4 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God 
is love. To grow more like Christ, to be like Christ, to grow as a Christian requires us to consider how is our love? How is my love for God? How is my love for others? So we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, actually also go back to chapter number 12 and consider this aspect of love that we should look at in our own personal lives and just do some inventory consider how we are doing in this area. So first of all, I want to take a look at the place of love, the place of love. So let's consider all of the different people in your life. You know, you have different groups. Uh, let's consider maybe this group that is closest to you. Uh, that might include people like your family, right? If you're married, you have a, a spouse, you have a husband or a wife, maybe you have kids, so you're, you're going to consider your kids as part of maybe that group that is close to you. You might have other relatives, your parents, brothers or sisters, even cousins and uncles and aunts, you know, grandparents. You, know, you have a, a group of people that you would say was, yeah, very close to me. I see them regularly. Uh, they're close to me because we're family together. You might put friends into this category. You have people that are close to you. Should we love those people? Uh, yeah, of course the answer is yes. In fact, it seems so obvious that we ought to love these people that it seems like, do we even need to say it, right? It seems so elementary to say, husbands, love your wives. It seems so obvious that it doesn't need to be stated, and yet, first of all, we see it in the Bible, but also, how many of us have thought about, well, how many husbands cheat on their wives? How many fathers? abandon their kids or uh, they neglect their kids in some way and how many of these people that we have that are close to us we might say well you know just to be honest sometimes i don't love them as i should maybe i take them for granted maybe i just always assume that they'll do these things and and uh, it, it's an obvious point but obviously one that needs to be stated we ought to love those people that are closest to us your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your siblings, relatives, you ought to love your close friends. Uh, let's take it to the church. Should we love the fellow brethren here in the church? Particularly if you're here and a member of Bible Baptist Church, we ought to love one another, right? Now, our church is a diverse church. Every church is a diverse church in some way. Uh, people are different in many different ways. You have men, and you have women, you have those that are younger, you have those that are older, people have different hobbies, people have different senses of humor, different personalities, different interests. You know, in a place like ours, in a church like ours, people have all sorts of different uh, native languages, they come from different cultures, there's a lot of differences all across the board within our church, and really within every church, we ought to love those people that are close to us here in the church, but are different from us. Amen. We ought to love those people. Yes, even those people that you're like, I, I don't really understand their sense of humor. We ought to love those people. And we ought to love those people that are, think differently from us. And we ought to love those people that maybe have a different perspective. In fact, the Bible uses the analogy of a body 
for the church. When you consider the church and you consider this body that we have here, there's all sorts of diversity. You have eyes and ears and mouths and hands and arms and joints and, and legs and feet, and you have organs on the inside and parts that you see on the outside. I mean, there's all sorts of things, all different uh, types of parts, and yet we all ought to love one another. In fact, if you're there in 1 Corinthians, go back to chapter number 12. So just up a few verses to verse number 25. Verse number 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. We ought to care for each member as we would care for every other member. Some are more natural in, their, in your relationship, you know, you just have natural tendencies. Maybe you both love the same sports team, you have the same hobby, you both uh, do the same kind of work. There's some natural tendencies for people to naturally congregate together, but we ought to care for every other member the same way we care for those that we might consider closest to us. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ. Together you are one body and members in particular, made up of many different types of parts because we are many different kinds of people. And that is one of the marks of a, of a disciple of Christ. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Romans chapter 12 says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. So you have this group here that is our church. And hopefully, if you're here, particularly the uh, membership, the membership here, uh, that you would feel close to your church body, that you would feel close to the other members, and that you would have a loving care for them. And again, it seems so obvious that we wouldn't need to state it, and yet we should state it. Right? We should state it because sometimes we don't love each other as we ought to. So you have this group that you might consider to be those that are closest to you, your natural kind of uh, 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 people near you. Then you have your church. What about those that are maybe a little bit in an outer orbit? Maybe they're not your friends uh, necessarily, those people that are close to you, but people that are around you. Uh, maybe they are strangers. Uh, one of the words that is used in the Bible are your neighbors, all right? That doesn't mean somebody that lives right next door to you. It just means that are people that are in your vicinity, people that are near you physically, you know, people that maybe you don't even know, but they're near you. That's why they're called neighbors. And the Bible says that in, uh, in James chapter 2, verse number 8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Now, the context of this verse is, let's go up a couple of verses, James chapter 2, verse number 1. Verse number 1 says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. He's saying, don't treat different people differently. For if there come unto your assembly a man 
with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. And it continues in the verses, coming to that conclusion, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The context, of course, is just people that might come into the congregation. You might see a newcomer, a new visitor, and you would make an instant judgment based on how they appeared, or how they seemed, or who they were, and you, they would treat them differently. But we ought to love all our neighbors equally, right? Not treat one in a better way because, oh, they got a lot of money and maybe if, uh, you know, that would be great for me and I might be able to get some advantage. And obviously that's some of what was going on there. Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you, if you know the story, the Good Samaritan, here was a man, he was on the road, he was robbed and near the point of death, and there was a Levite that came through, and a priest that came through, and there was a Samaritan that came through. And uh, this Jewish man lying there had somebody who was a Levite, and, uh, and a, a priest come by, and they did not help him, but the Samaritan, a, a person that they lived close by physically because they were bordering nations, and yet they despised them. They did not, they did not like them at all, and they did not like each other at all. And yet this Samaritan treated him well as if he were his friend. And he helped him and he supported him and, and took care of him. And uh, the whole context of the story, the lesson of the story is, of course, that Jesus said, you know, who was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And of course they said, ah, the Samaritan, the person who helped him. Uh, just to give you a little bit of an idea of how much they did not like the Samaritans, they did not say the Samaritan, they said, he that showed mercy on him. You know, they like avoided saying the name, but it's obvious like, well, of course, that guy that showed mercy, but I, I don't even want to say the name, you know? That's how much they did not like them. And Jesus says, go and do thou likewise. The context of that was, here was somebody who had come to Jesus and said, what must I do to obtain eternal life? How do I live in heaven for all of eternity? And Jesus responded with a question. What does the Bible say? What a great answer. Uh, if you don't know, uh, what, what do I do? How do I get to heaven? What does the Bible say? And this man said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy might, with all thy strength, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Isn't that what Jesus said? This is the first, this is the second. Hang all the other commandments upon these two. You keep these two and you keep all of the rest. The Bible though says, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, ah, but who is my neighbor really? <laughs> you know, we're always looking for a loophole. Yeah, that's what the Bible says, but uh, maybe there's a little way for me to squeeze through without having to do all of the law because we all know that we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short of the calling of God, of love. And here is God giving us a demonstration. Let us not be willing to justify ourselves, but honestly and sincerely go to the word of God. So here's another group. 
Maybe it's not a part of your regular group of friends that you hang out with, your family where you see together on birthdays and Christmas and holidays and things like that, or even your church family that you might see and, and be with on a regular basis. Those people that are near you, but they're not maybe necessarily those that are closest to you, we ought to love those people as well. Amen? All right, we ought to love those. Now, let's go even farther beyond that into outer orbit. People that are obviously not close to us, they're not our friends, maybe not fellow church members, maybe they're not even just people that are in our vicinity. What about those that are enemy to us? Do we have to love those people too? Does the Bible say that we ought to be loving to them? Matthew chapter 5, here is Jesus. He says, ye have heard it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. I mean, you don't even need to say it. That's what people naturally do, right? They love people who love them and they fight people who fight them. But I say unto you, love your... What, what, what's, what's the next word? Love your friends, right? We should love our friends, right? We should love our husbands and wives. We should love our kids. Love your, wait, who, who are these people? Love your enemies? We should love those people? Did Jesus really say that? And bless them that curse you? Do we really need to bless those people? I mean, I want to bless my wife. I want to bless my kids. I want to bless my you know, fellow church members. Uh, those that want to curse me, I should bless them? Do good to them that hate you? Do I really have to be good to that guy? And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you? Ah, I really have to pray for that person? You know, when I pray, I want to pray for my wife. I want to pray for my kids. I want to pray for my brother and sister-in-law. And I have uh, nieces and my sister and my parents and, you know, my in-laws and their families and all of you all wonderful people. I want to pray for you. But oh, the person who despitefully uses me and persecutes me, Jesus said we should pray for them. That ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven. You know why we should look in this area? Because God does that. God was good to them that persecuted him. And God loved them that hated him. And God blessed people who do nothing but oppose the Lord and all that he does. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. You know, we all take it for granted that the sun is going to rise every single day. Amen? We take it for granted. No matter what you did yesterday, the sun does not shine tomorrow on some and not on others. It rises the same equally for everybody. That's the Lord. The Bible says he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? 
even sinners know you love those people that love you. That's natural. That's the fleshly way of doing things. The flesh naturally gravitates toward, oh, you were good to me, then I'll be good to you. But the love of God is not a fleshly, natural kind of love. It's a spiritual, supernatural kind of love. He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's a high calling, to be like Christ in this way. But the test of Christ-likeness and spiritual health is not the greatness of your love towards them who love you, but the bounty of your love towards those who do not. That's the test that we're looking at. Not, you know, that person who is so great to you, do you love them? Now, my wife is the most lovable person that I know. You can't help but love her, right? But, so therefore, it's natural to love a person like that. That's easy, easier than loving other people. But what about the difficult person to love? What about the person that maybe doesn't treat you the way that you want to be treated? That's the test. But that's what God did. And we're not looking for a natural kind of love. We're looking for a God-like kind of love. Romans chapter 5 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time Christ died, for who? Those that loved him? Those that were good for him, good to him, those that sought him. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know who those people are? That's us. God died for us when we were not good to him, when we rejected him, when we went our own way. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Oh, you, you might do that kind of thing for somebody that's good, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know, every one of us at one point was the enemy of God. We were enemies because we were sinners. We rejected the Lord. Sin is opposed to God, and yet God died for you. Aren't you glad that God didn't just love those that loved him, that he loved those that rejected him? I mean, that's the love of God. And that's what we are striving to be like. That's the goal. Romans chapter 8 makes it clear. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What's the point? For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. The goal is to be like Christ. This is what Christ was like. And so that's a test for us spiritually. Now, that brings us next to the priority of love. Let's read some of the verses that we got there in 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He goes on through some of the other verses. We'll read them in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question. What makes a person great? How do you know you're with a great person? 
you know, the world will define greatness usually by some measure of success. You know, they want to write biographies about great people. They want to uh, mention people who are great and things like that. Some define greatness as a measure of success, business success, academic success, maybe athletic success. People who are the best at what they do. They're better than everybody else. They're smarter than everybody else. They make more money than anybody else. Their business is bigger than everybody else's. They've been able to go farther than everybody else. Their grades are higher. Their colleges are better. Many people want to define greatness in some of those ways. Some define greatness as, you know, some measure of wealth and their possessions, the kind of house that they have, the kind of cars that they drive, the kind of clothes that they wear, the kind of vacations they get to take, the kind of restaurants they can afford to go to. Some people think about their uh, academic success, their IQ, how smart they are, the kinds of grades that they get, uh, by how popular people are, you know, how much people like them, how much people want to be around them, how much people are attracted to them. So often people can focus on these sorts of things, their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their possessions, their accomplishments, in terms of, all right, what is greatness? And they define them by these things. And so much attention is given to those things, but God gives greatness and defines greatness by our love. If we will be somebody in this world, we must do all things in love. That's where greatness comes from. In fact, so important is love that without love, all the other things don't even matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished. It doesn't matter how smart you are if you don't have love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, God supernaturally gave to you a language that nobody else on earth knows. Just the angels know. Though I have that and have not charity, the word that we would use is the word love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, the gift to be able to proclaim the word of God, to... to to be the most charismatic and elegant and eloquent speaker in all the world and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You're the smartest guy on the planet. You know more than anybody else, more than everybody else combined. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, by my faith, I could remove mountains. By my faith, I could remove hurricanes, maybe, we might put it today. Right? By my faith, I'm able to do these impossibly uh, 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 huge things here on this earth. Though I have all of those things, but if I don't have love and have not charity, I am, what does the Bible say there? End of verse number two. And have not charity, I am nothing. God says, if you don't have love, you are nothing. God says, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much money you have. 
I don't care how charismatic you are or how popular you are or how powerful you are. If you don't have love, you're nothing. You're nobody. Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you took every one of your possessions, you emptied your bank account, you sold all of your stocks and, and uh, everything, and you gave all of it away. You sold your home, you sold your car, you sold your clothes, you sold your, your uh, appliances, you sold all of your possessions, all your furniture, everything that you owned, and gave it to the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, you didn't just give your physical possessions, you gave yourself, your body, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Do you see the priority of love here? How You can't get very far into looking at how are we doing spiritually without looking at love. God says without love, we are nothing and we have nothing without love. It doesn't matter how big your house is. doesn't matter how fancy your car is. doesn't matter what kind of college you went to. doesn't matter how much, uh, what, what kind of company you work for. If you don't have love, the Bible says we're nothing. And we have nothing. Those are strong words. But those are not my words. I wouldn't say that. But God said it. And so we're going to repeat it. Though I do all these things and have not charity, I am nothing. And it profiteth me nothing. That's the priority of God on love. What is the first commandment? Love God. What is the second commandment? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Every other commandment hangs on those two, both of which are just simply what? Love. Love God and love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thirdly, what we get to is the portrait of love. Love is a word that we all use, but not everybody uses love the same way. Not everybody uses it for the same things. What is love? Uh, it's kind of hard to define, right? We could give all sorts of definitions of love, but I like what God says here. Uh, maybe easier than defining love is for us to think about what does love look like? And that's a little bit easier for us to think about. And so he goes through all of these character traits. We read them earlier, but starting in verse number four, he says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. When we consider, first of all, this portrait of love, I want us to consider what is love or what does love do or uh, what should we consider in our lives to think about, well, am I loving? Am I growing in love? Good question to ask is regarding what you give and what you take. What you give and what you take. Now, as human beings, it's natural to take things that are good and get rid of things that are bad, right? That's natural, right? If somebody offers you something, if it's good, you want to take it. If it's not so good, what do you want to do? You want to get rid of it, right? We have trash. The things we don't want, we throw it away. We give it away. We get rid of it. The things that are good, we get, we get and we take and we receive and we keep and we hold. But godly love is a little bit different. 
He says, charity suffereth long. One author wrote, love's patience or suffering long, long suffering is the ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of by a person over and over again and yet not be upset or angry. To be able to take it. Now, as human beings, our natural response is what? I'm not going to take that. I don't have to take that. But God says godly love is long-suffering. The Greek culture in which, you know, the Bible was written in those days, that culture that was there and even beforehand, self-sacrificing love and non-avenging patience were considered weakness and unworthy of the noble man or woman. Aristotle, for example, taught that the great Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate insult or injury and to strike back in retaliation for the slightest offense. That was considered a virtue. We might put it this way. They considered vengeance a virtue. Now, that's not godly love. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 30, for we know him that saith, vengeance belongeth unto who? Unto God, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. When uh, one of the first deacons was preaching the word of God, people didn't like what he had to say, and they began to stone him. And as he was dying, he, yelled, uh, he cried unto the Lord, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, said, Lord, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Love is kind. Love is patient. The kind of godly love is being willing to take things that the human flesh says, I shouldn't have to take that. And in respond, give goodness to those that we feel like don't deserve it. Love is also not envious or jealous. One form of jealousy is, I want something that someone else has right? You look at somebody else's car, you look at somebody else's house, you look at somebody else's vacations, you, you take a look at some of the things that they might have, the opportunities that they get, and uh, it's easy to be jealous of some of those things. There's another form of jealousy, which is the, the flip side of that, maybe the opposite side of the coin of, I want what somebody else has, but also, I wish that they didn't have what they have. If I can't have it, neither can they, right? In the Old Testament, uh, Solomon became king, and early on he had a test. He had to test these two ladies. Each of them had a child, and uh, there was a, an issue where one of the children, uh, one of the babies died in the middle of the night, and uh, the mother of the living child, um, uh, she had her child taken by the other lady. Her, lady uh, uh, her child had died, and she took the baby and switched them. And so this lady says, no, the living child is mine. And the other one says, no, the living child is mine. And so they went to Solomon and said, here's the situation. This is my child. And the other lady said, no, this is my child. And so Solomon, being the wise king that he was, said, all right, well, we have one child and two, two women. Let's cut the baby in half and each of you can have half. And the one woman said, fine, go ahead and do it. And the other woman said, no, 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 no. The other, the other woman can have the child. You know, the real mother cares for the child and was willing to give the child to the other person rather than to have her child to die. Solomon recognized that and gave the child to the rightful mother. 
But you could see the kind of jealousy that my child died, and if I can't have the child, then fine, neither can you. Right? That's a fleshly kind of jealousy. And it's a, it's a battle that we're all going to face because every one of us either sees or knows somebody who's got more than you, more successful than you, been to more places than you, done more things than you, is more accomplished than you, more popular than you, in some way higher than you, and it's easy to be jealous of that. A great example of a godly kind of love is also in the Old Testament in this friendship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of the king, he was the prince, he was the next in line to be king, but God chose David to be the next king instead of Jonathan. Now, it's not Jonathan's fault. Jonathan didn't do anything wrong, but God in his providence and sovereignty decided David was going to be king. And so David was anointed. Jonathan knew that he would be the king. And instead of desiring to take him out so that he could have the throne, instead he said, if God chose you to be king, I'm happy for you. You should be the next king. And I'm going to be the one right first in line helping you and supporting you. What an what a example of love. An example of, this is my quote-unquote right, but I am going to give up that right. I'm not going to hold on to that right. I'm going to freely give it away because I want the best for my friend, David. And David can have that position, which normally would be mine, and he gave it away. Another question for us to ask and, and consider in terms of uh, what is a godly love is to ask the question, who goes higher and who goes lower? The Bible says that love or charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. All right. So in contrast to jealousy, uh, this idea of charity vaunting not itself is not puffed up is the idea that love does not parade its accomplishments. Jealousy is the idea of wanting what somebody else has boasting or vaunting yourself or puffing yourself up is trying to make other people jealous of you. Look what I have. Look what I did. Aren't I special? Look at me. That's, that's the idea. And uh, the Corinthian believers were spiritual show-offs. They wanted to show off how spiritual they were, how gifted they were, what they had and what they uh, were able to do. And, and it was creating some conflict there because those that did not have were obviously, you know, felt like, what, what is this? You're showing off and, and not helping us. You know, you're kind of boasting about how much money you have, how gifted you are, you are and how great that you are. But Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Jesus being higher than all others, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you remember what Jesus said about who was the greatest of mankind do you remember there was one individual that said of all that were born of women there is none greater do you remember who that was john the baptist now john the baptist lived in the desert he lived in the wilderness he wore camel's hair and he ate locusts and honey he wasn't the king he wasn't a governor he wasn't a great athlete, a great businessman. He didn't go to the great colleges or highly, you know, educated. He didn't have any of those things. And yet Jesus said, this man, he is the greatest. Now, why is that? 
Well, I think that you see the great humility of John. John demonstrated that, you know what? I'm okay with being lower if others will rise higher, especially Jesus. Early in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he was baptizing and he was doing more and he was getting more popular. And John the Baptist had his own disciples, just like Jesus had his disciples. And in fact, some of the disciples of John went to Jesus. And people could see the trend, you know? Our ministry is getting smaller, fewer people are coming here, less are following us, and more are following him. John, you gotta do something, what is going on? And he said, he it is who cometh after me is preferred before me. He's better than me, he is higher than me. Whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. John famously said in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. He said, I'm okay going down if Jesus goes up. And that was the heart of John the Baptist. One author put it this way, arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. We also see that love and considering what is love is what you seek and what you don't seek. Verse number five, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Love does not seek its own love seeks others god commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that's the kind of love that god demonstrates matthew chapter 20 says of jesus even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many so we see this portrait of love, the descriptions of love. There's another one here in verse number five. It is not easily provoked and thinketh no evil. The question to ask is what gets you riled up and what do you remember? What gets you going? This idea of not being provoked is not being poked and getting your tempers to flare. Uh, it's very easy for us to become preoccupied with our rights. And uh, one author wrote it this way, everyone grabs, no one gives, and everyone loses, even when you get what you want. Because lovelessness, a lack of love, always costs more than it gains. And it's easy for the flesh to get riled up and upset when somebody else gets what we think we deserve, when somebody takes what we think we should not have to relinquish, and it's easy for people to be provoked. In verse number five, it says, it thinketh no evil. This word there has this idea of being a bookkeeper, an accountant, not of finances, but of rights and wrongs. You have credits and you have debits. Uh, this person did, me, uh, did something good for me. This person did something bad to me. And we have a record-keeping book of all the things that somebody did against us. And whenever they do something wrong, I'll be like, ah, just like that other time when you did this thing. Do you remember that? And, and uh, when somebody says, oh, you should know, oh, just like that one time when you did this. And, and it's easy for the flesh to always bring up and remember all of the faults of other people. But love is not good at bookkeeping the faults of others. It easily forgives and it forgets. And what it cannot forget, it will forgive again. That's the idea of love. Lastly, this portrait of love makes us ask the question, 
What makes you smile? What makes you happy? The Bible says in verse number six, love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. See, love finds no joy in sin. It finds no enjoyment or pleasure in the faults or mistakes of others. Love would rather cover it. Love would rather protect. Love would rather move on from that. One of the most common forms of rejoicing in iniquity is gossip. You know what I've noticed is that when people gossip, they don't gossip about the good things of other people. They gossip about the bad things of other people. Oh, did you hear what he said? I can't believe he said that. Nobody gossips about other people. Oh, my wife told me that she loves me. Right? Nobody tells me that. Oh, pastor, do you know what my wife told me today? She loves me. People don't gossip about that. You know what they gossip about? Oh, you know what? Somebody, I saw what that person was doing and, and they didn't know. And, and, you know, I was walking by and on their phone, they were looking at this. And, and uh, you know, I overheard somebody told me and, uh, you know, this. And somebody told somebody who 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 told me that, you know, and I'm sure this is exactly how it went because even though 10 different people have told this story, I'm sure that's exactly perfectly the truth of exactly what happened. So you could trust me, this is the truth. And, you know what? Let's not rejoice in iniquity. Let's rather than thinking about, you know what? Oh, I don't really care if it tarnishes the testimony of a brother or sister. I'm going to share this story anyway because, wow, it feels so good to just talk about these sorts of things and think about this. And, and uh, uh, you know, let's not think about how somebody could get torn down by something that we said. Let's think about how could we build this person up? Let's think about, you know what, if I did tell this story, would this hurt them or not? Sometimes this story is just so juicy that the flesh can't help itself. But we're not called to be fleshly. We are called to be godly and to be loving. And before you tell that story about somebody else, maybe you should consider whether or not if you were in the opposite situation, whether you would want them to tell the exact same story about you. You know, we're naturally covering up our faults, right? Is it, uh, you know, uh, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, I, that's not what I said. Uh, 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 no, that, that, that's, that's not exactly how the story went. Even if it's exactly true, we try to justify it in some way. That's what we would naturally do about ourselves. And yet so easily we tell those exact same stories and even embellish them about others. We ought to be careful. And so here we have this portrait of love. And what God desires for us to do is to just say, how are we doing? Have you ever uh, known any identical twins? I'm always like, uh, I'm just so bad at like distinguishing. Some people can tell which one is who, and I just cannot tell the difference. And I've had so many situations where I called out one name and I got it wrong, and it was somebody else. And uh, I remember there were these two identical twins, and I just could not tell them apart except when they were together. One of them was slightly taller than the other one. And so I knew which one it was based on, now they couldn't wear heels or anything, you know, <laughs> that might throw things up. But I, I remember, oh, one of them is taller than the other one. But when they were by themselves, 
I could not tell the difference, and it was kind of embarrassing. You know, I'm like, you know, testing it. Uh, is it Jade? No? All right, it's Judy, you know, or whatever, you know. And, uh, you know, I couldn't tell the difference, you know. Now, there are some that are very similar, but I could, I could tell them apart. Now, God's goal for us is to grow to become like Christ. Amen? The idea is for us to consider, let's consider ourselves, let's take ourselves and put ourselves next to Christ and consider how do we look? What's the differences here? And when we take those differences, we go to God and say, God, I need you here. God, I fell short in this area of forgiveness. God, I fell short in this area of I let my temper you know, flare up, and instead of being loving towards them, I let my flesh take control. And to grow, to become more and more like Christ. So here's your third health check. How's your love? Do you love God, and do you love your neighbor as yourself?